SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezo Mabete on SAFM. Female Architects 2048 here on SAFM. Good evening, South Africans. The number to dial is 0891-104-207. Voice notes 0614-104-107. Just to confirm that the first session so far, we were in conversation with Mr. Aaron's Roots of Every Forum discussing the Union of South Africa flag. Apparently, it's not an apartheid flag. Story for another day. We're still honoring, of course, in this month of August, in Bogodo. The imbalance of power is still one of the hot-button issues that women to this day are fighting against. Architecture and its profession remains a tough profession for women to crack, but is undergoing a dramatic change. It definitely is a new dawn for women in the building industry, in the built environment, whereby they can take on significant leadership roles within a project and are making their voices heard. Women nowadays hold a legitimate place in planning and collaborating within projects, bringing a unique perspective to their work. We're about to have a conversation with Ms. Antoinette Kloppers of Paragon Group, as well as Ms. Pritia Bika of the same group, talking to us about architects female architects in particular good evening ladies how are you good evening good, good thanks and you mm, very good not so good all altogether right. any construction site for the most part it's a boys club and that's not a good picture it most certainly is not um but we are fighting very hard and especially at paragon to to change that scenery Let's talk about the fight that's going on. Let's talk about the mindsets that have to be ironed out. Let's talk about the inherent discrepancies that do not allow the kind of traction that is necessary and constitutionally an obligation on all parties concerned to change that skewed impression of the, suppre- of, 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 of the profession itself. Okay. Um, so from my side, I've had quite a few... Um Experiences both as a young female architect, a woman of color, I think it can be quite challenging and um, it is important uh, to kind of have the right way of dealing with these kind of situations. I don't know, Ant, if you've had kind of these same kind of situations? Um, absolutely. I, I think it's a, it's a different dynamic for, for each and every uh, cultural group. Um, I think as females in the profession, we definitely have to bring a certain level of assertion and confidence when we walk into project meetings or when we walk onto site and start um, engaging with contractors. Um, It's definitely something that we have to bring to the table more than our male counterparts to, Mm -hmm. to actually prove our credibility in the industry. Yeah, it's almost like the fight is a little bit harder every single time. And every time you start a new project, you're almost starting fresh. You start yeah. fresh, and the first couple of weeks takes a takes quite a bit of time yeah. to to build that relationship, um, to to really establish your role as the architect, or and not just one of the girls in the room. Mm. Mm. Absolutely, and the profession itself is probably one that belongs, for the most part, in the creative side of things. I mean, you have to conceptualize something which at times, if not for the most part, has never existed before, incorporating the environment. So there's a lot of creativity there. It's not just bricks and mortar stuff that is architecture. And the fact that even in that space, there's such a skew means that the society has a real problem in just shunning women and the woman interest and the woman perspective and the woman voice and the woman's contribution to a society of which their majority players in, in any given sphere, is really tragic. Mm-hmm. It, it is absolutely um, and when you're saying you know it, it, it's, it's quite a creative industry um, the bricks and mortar form 
an integral part of that. And it's almost as if the um, the females in the industry are more trusted, I would say, in terms of the fluffy design stuff, mm. um, whereas the technical bricks and mortar things, um, we get undermined quite a lot. Uh, we... Uh, we sort of get explained how things are done on site when you almost want to say, hang on there, this is not my first radio, I've I've done this before, I know exactly how this works. Yeah, and I think it's also quite difficult because I find it, especially even if you have um, perhaps even a student who happens to be male, I'll find, you know, the entire room suddenly swings that way, whereas in the meantime, you're actually the expert. Fun that happens almost every time. Yes, definitely. Our male counterparts are are engaged with first Mm. before we are actually engaged Mm. with. And I get engaged on simply because I'm a male on anything. When (laughs) my senior would be a female who would have walked in before me and would have introduced me. I mean... Just from an aesthetics perspective, she walks in first, she introduces me, she shakes the hands of everybody else and says, this is my junior, but the attention is then given to me. That's a male problem. Let's talk about the numbers because they they, they don't look too good, but I suppose this is a problem of the world. Architects Council of Europe, 31% of registered professionals in architecture are female, even less in the U.S., 20%. In fact, we compare to the U.S. at 21% in the country. Registered accountant, I mean, registered architects in the profession. Mm. Why is that? How can we look to the education system that potentially is producing these numbers? Where are the fault lines? I don't know. It, it's an interesting question because it's something that's been um, on my mind quite a lot. I think as a student and coming through, why is it that women and female architects seem to somehow disappear along the lines? Um, and I know certainly with my university experience, uh, it was roughly equal. In fact, in some years, there were more women than there were men in each class. Um, but the exact reason, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's sometimes can't be the friendliest to moms. I don't know. Maybe that's the reason. Yeah. To actually add on to that, Preacher, um, it, it's quite interesting to, to see the numbers of um, prospective students and, and women wanting to study mm. architecture and mm-hmm. then pursuing that um, that field of study. But for some reason, um, and definitely as as a mom myself, um, there's there's some barriers that you that you need to break through. There's plenty of women that le- that leaves the industry after they've had kids um, to start a family, because society tells you, you you're not really allowed to have a career and a family. Um, so I think definitely it's it it is quite a difficult career. Um, I'm yeah. not going to lie. Um, it, it's it's ta- it's taxing on you. It's stressful. Um, it's time consuming, but it's also so rewarding. Um, and I think what people just don't realise, and what probably our our workplaces don't realise. Luckily, Preet and I are in a very um, mm-hmm. fortunate position where um, our workplace uh, is is really supportive uh, to to us moms. Um, but the workplaces isn't really friendly after you come back from maternity leave. Um, it's almost as if you you treated as sort of this porcelain doll that needs to primarily take care of a tiny little human being. In fact, the conditions change the minute you announce that you are pregnant. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, look for 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 health and safety reasons. Yes, um, I definitely don't want to be traipsing around um, on a construction site when I'm seven months pregnant. Um, but it doesn't mean that I can't do my job, nor does it mean when I come back from maternity leave, all of a sudden I've forgotten how to be an architect. Mm. I think Let's talk about the numbers. Sorry, Preacher. Yeah, no, it's fine. Carry on. 
I was going to say, I think the, the one of the biggest challenges for me um, and something I've been seeking throughout my career so far is uh, strong female mentors because um, for me it's been really difficult to deal with things that have happened on site or in meetings or anything. Um, and you almost need the guidance and there is a bit of a lack. And so there's how do I find someone who's gone through the same experiences and maybe looks similar to me, um, who is a woman. And it's, and it's quite often that I've been in architecture firms where I am the only female at that company. So it is also, it's like compounded by that. Let's talk about the numbers again, because we're talking about just under 9,000 registered architectural professions in the country, which feeds to that 21% of women that we're talking about. And if you really break it down, for instance, in 2012, NMMU, one university, 33% of the class. 2014, 29%. It spiked a little bit in between in 2013, which was 41. So we, we, we're not getting the through... We're not getting the feed from high school mm. into university and the sustainability in the university setup and more especially in the profession itself, one of the reasons that you've just highlighted. Could it be, uh, let, let's engage itself, high school, subjects that might feed into this geometry from a mathematical perspective, technical drawing, if you like, or subjects that speak to Nowadays, it's called graphics and design and engineering. In my days, we had subjects like woodwork, you had subjects like metalwork, things that were using the creatives. Would typically an all-girls school have some subjects in your time? Were these subjects available? Because it could, not necessarily justifiably so, could have been a function of the education system that was, without even thinking about it, channeling certain genders in a particular direction. Absolutely. Um, I definitely think uh, when you get to, say, for instance, all girls schools, um, the, the the range of subjects that's that's there uh, to choose from um, is a lot different to uh, a technical school or a public school. Um, I went to quite a technical school, so I was quite fortunate in 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 that exposure. Um, I had technical drawings up until um, I think standard eight back in the day when they were still standards. Um, so. I definitely also think in terms of a cultural and socioeconomic position, uh, the education system is um, is creating barriers for, for people to really understand what types of careers they can pursue. And I think it's very important for us as architects and as female architects to go out and create this awareness that this is what you would require. and you would really need to get into your math and science um, and dabble a little bit in the arts and the technical side um, just to create a little bit of, of awareness. Um, I think it's really, really important that we do the groundwork so that our future generations um, can become great architects. Certainly they can be, and we're going to talk about what the requirements are of being a great architect. I mean, University of Cape Town, Bachelor of Architectural Studies, 2008 to 2010. University of Cape Town, Bachelor of Architectural Studies, Honours, Master of Architecture, Professional, 2013. Green Star, South African Accredited Person, New Buildings, 2014. Master of Philosophy in Architecture and Planning, 2016-2017. Does it get better than that? And you know who I'm talking to there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's been a fantastic journey for me. Um, I, I'm really interested in learning and I do want to continue with it. Um, I was fortunate enough after my first master's to be invited back um, to do a project as part of the Water Research Commission South Africa. 
um, looking at how we integrate water into um, buildings and in neighborhoods across scales. Um, so for me, it's been a really positive journey. I will say it's been incredibly difficult. Um, I would imagine it would be. Let me ask you to hold that thought because I want to probe water and buildings, especially in the context of our strained water supplies in this country. Hold the thought. We're in conversation with Ms. Antoinette Kloppers as well as Ms. Pritya Bika, both of the Perican Group. They are women, they are architects, and they are trailblazers. It's 21 hours. It's time for news. We'll be back right after this. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. The Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. The Viewpoint. Weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. Songhez on The Viewpoint. That's right, 2106. Good evening, South Africans. This is indeed Songa Zumabeko on The Viewpoint. No Auntie Pat this evening is stuck with me. And fortunately, we've got two ladies in studios here in Johannesburg, Miss Antoinette Kloppers of Paragon Group, as well as Miss Pritya Bika, also of the same group, talking to us about their profession, the noble profession of architects, and specifically the stride they are making in an environment that doesn't speak to them, doesn't look like them, that for the most part, in fact, actually rejects them, and it rejects them to the extent that they form only a mere 20 of the South African Institute of Architects. We were having a conversation with Ms. Pritya Beaker, specifically focusing on how now the challenges in the environment, in the profession specifically as it pertains to incorporating some environmental aspects in the built environment. And she had mentioned two words that really stuck a chord with me, water and buildings. Do you want to elaborate on that? Because this is a study stroke, a research area that you might be focusing on, Pritya. Yeah. Um, so what we were looking at at the time I started this master's was um, the the water crisis in Cape Town was just coming to a head. So we knew that they, there was a lot of research required. There were a lot of research efforts happening. And um, what my research specifically focused on was looking at all of these wonderful things coming out of the engineering disciplines and public health and how do we actually implement that? So we have systems like swales or um, wetlands and um, how do we get that into the built environment? And that's where architects come in and architects can really facilitate this kind of thing. Um, so my research really focused on using these different engineering and highly technical elements. How do we retrofit that into neighborhoods uh, for better use of water? But let's talk about that because the environment is under strain. Mm. In fact, never mind the natural environment, even the people who consume buildings these days, it's younger people all the time. It's persons who are now more accepted in the professional environment, which might have been taboo back then and justifiably so, persons living with disabilities. So how can we make buildings? I mean, if you look at South Africa's buildings, for the most part, they are not friendly for persons who are elderly or persons living with mobility challenges that people who we call disabled and characteristically wrong in my view but how can we then modify the built environment especially in the public space to be more friendly not only to the environment but also to the human capital that moves in and out for 40 hours a week Mm. I think uh, on this particular subject internet is definitely the expert when it comes to looking at equal accessibility internet yes um, so this is actually quite a quite a big passion for me Um, 
I've been on this journey for a couple of years where I've I've been really interested in building regulations and then I've um this spiked my interest in in um creating an equitable environment especially for persons with disabilities. Um serendipitously we actually found out that mm-hmm. my daughter's got a mild to moderate hearing loss. Um so this was just again a reinforcement of mm-hmm. the journey mm-hmm. that I, that I've that I've taken. It's extremely important and for us as architects we have got not only the um the responsibility but we've got the privilege to actually shape um people's experiences of yes. the built environment. Mm. Um and in doing so taking cognizance of the the constitution um yes. unfair discrimination act etc to make sure that people use buildings with so much dignity yes. um that they, there's really no barriers the only the only thing that's really creating disabilities is the barriers itself and it's one thing to talk about the building but quite another to talk about the environment surrounding the building access for vehicles that are used or driven by persons with such disabilities the pavements of government and the sufficient space that is allowed for persons who are elderly who are young children especially the the environment that surrounds a building that ought to be consumed where the actual work takes place needs to be equally compliant to some of the environmental challenges that you are starting to allude to such that the use of the building can be truly used and which is more enjoyed agreed and i think this is definitely where that threshold becomes rather complex um especially in terms of investment investors and property developers um it's it's very difficult to to sort of pass the threshold between the public um and the the private space to make the 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 precincts our urban precincts more uh environmentally friendly for 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 people using these spaces um it's it at at the moment it's quite difficult to to sort of force the the clients to foot the bill for this um so it's really important for us to to create awareness to make sure that people engage with with municipalities in order to make these spaces functional and friendly so it's not just experiencing the building itself but yeah. it's your whole journey leading up mm-hmm. to this up to the building like you say But I think it's also, you know, adding on to that when you're looking at uh, perhaps um like water and energy and those sort of things it's exactly the same problem. It requires buy-in from developers and investors and very often the initial output is really quite expensive and and then you're looking at you you get the value back over a good period of years. But often that that period be be it 10 to 20 years is a lot longer than that first investment so you get the bill and, and and I think very often investors are quite almost frightened by that amount up front let me, let me ask this question because this is critical for us to sort of wrap up the conversation but to also talk about what is possible the co-arc international architects directed by Catherine Atkins and Malika Walele 45 story building in Maud Street soon to be Africa's tallest building this is the kind of success story that you would want not necessarily to model of course you could model but you want it to almost be a typical story in the profession that not only can you get history out of these buildings can you establish records out of this building and the aesthetics that come with it but the leadership can be and can be and must be women 
Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's there's no reason um, why this can't be women. Mm. Um, if I can advise anyone in the industry, is just to go out, take the risks. You might fail. Get up and just do it again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much, ladies. Appreciate your time. That is Miss Antoinette Kloppers of the Paragon Group, as well as Miss Pritya Bika of the Paragon Group, as well, talking to us about the challenges that are faced by women in the architect's profession, but nonetheless remaining a very enjoyable space for them to be in. And we wish you, ladies, all the best in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Let's carry on with the viewpoint here on SAFM 891 with Miss Tracy Henry of Chi. Kululu Social Investments, CEO there, talking to us about the value of CSI right after the break.